0: Welcome to Everyday Evangelism, a new podcast series building up everyday Christians and churches for God's urban mission. Together, we'll explore how we can confidently share Jesus in different urban contexts and connect with people on the margins of society. We're so glad you can join us. I'm Jason Roach, Director of Ministries at London City Mission, and I'll be joined by a range of guests for topical discussions, inspiring stories, and practical tips. By God's grace, we can see Jesus Christ known in every community. Welcome to this episode. We're at St Anne's Church in Limehouse on Commercial Road. And on the way in, I was up close and personal on the tube train with people from all kinds of backgrounds and ethnicities. London is a a diverse city, as are many of our urban centres. And today we're thinking about how we can connect with the world on our doorstep. We're thinking about two particular areas, how we can connect with those within the church, particularly how we can listen well and work together with uh, those uh, who are from ethnically diverse backgrounds within our own churches. And also how we can connect with those outside of the church who don't yet know uh, the Lord Jesus. And so those are the two areas we'll be focusing uh, on and uh, we're aware that watching this will be a whole number of people from a whole number of different backgrounds. You might be watching this and be, for example, uh, a white British person in a church that has lots of different ethnic groups uh, who come along to it. You might be like me, someone who's born and bred here, but has parents who, whose heritage is from another place. And so we've tried to uh, assemble a group of us to talk together who represent something of the diversity of London, just a small snippet of it. So we've got Israel, uh, who has uh, been in this country living for 19 years, I think that's right, uh, but uh, hails from Nigeria. Yes. Uh, and we have Charlotte, a white British woman, with us as well. Uh, so we hope that whoever you are, uh, whatever your context or background, that there'll be something uh, here that can help you to take next steps as we connect uh, with the world on our doorstep. So to introduce my guests properly, we have Israel Olafinjana, uh who is the director of the One People Commission uh, for the Evangelical Alliance, the author of several books, uh, but also uh, the founder of the Centre for oh, Missionaries from the Majority World. Missionaries from the Majority World. Welcome, Israel. Thank you. And we have Charlotte Mayhew, our very own uh, London City Mission Field Director for North London but who also has a special responsibility for our strategy towards diaspora people. And we're going to explain uh, what we mean by that in just uh, a minute. So as we start off, let's think a little bit about this term diaspora, so that we know what we're talking about. And I guess it's used to mean a lot of things, but a a simple gloss might be that it's about people who have a strong sense of identity with another place, and who, secondly, uh, experience hostility, marginalization, difficulty uh, integrating in the, their, the country that they find themselves now. Would that be a fair description?
1: I'm glad yeah, that, for that, that nod, Charlotte. Israel. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, a, that, that's a good uh, starting point. I think it's about capturing the experiences around migration. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the key things around diaspora. It's another way of describing a particular migration. And I think the word diaspora sometimes the way it is used in our churches today it, it is used in a sense of diaspora churches, and by that people will talk about migrant churches, so it looks as if it's just one sided so it's just people who have come in uh-huh. into this host country and then they are doing churches or life among themselves so that's one way we've kind of used the word diaspora or diaspora churches or diaspora mission but actually when we look at it biblically and begin to unpack it diaspora is much more broader uh, in a sense of the best way to situate it in the biblical text is this looking at the mission of god as gathering and scattering and so in the old testament there were two trumpets that the bible talks about in numbers uh, a trumpet for gathering and a trumpet for scattering and then when you look at the new testament church you see that they gathered together the ecclesia which is the original word and then the diaspora the scattering aspect of that and so diaspora in the old testament was first applied to the jewish context jewish people as they experienced exilic experiences as they were in exile and all those areas in that sense. And then in the New Testament, it was applied to Christians after the martyrdom uh, of Stephen when they scattered everywhere. So you see Peter, James using it. And so the question is this, if the word diaspora is biblical and it encompasses these strands of gathering and scattering, then why do we today limit it to just a people group that's something we need to wrestle with it's a biblical word it's a word that unpacks the mission of God in the Bible Old Testament New Testament
0: so even though we don't necessarily we may not be familiar with it this is a biblical word it's something that we want to wrestle with and think about Uh, Charlotte would you add anything to that
2: yeah, although we might not be familiar with the concepts of scattering and gathering necessarily, usually we're, as Christians, we are familiar with the principles behind that. So yeah. scattering and gathering throughout the whole Bible narrative is the means by which God often um, works out his, his redemptive story mm-hmm. and his story of judgment as well. Okay. So even in the, at the beginning of the Bible where we see Adam and Eve gathered together with God in the Garden of Eden, as sin enters the world, they're then scattered that yeah. They're cast out of God's presence and judgment comes into the world. And that we then see time and time again at pattern throughout yeah. scripture. So I think it is helpful now as the church in London or wherever we're based to think about our own identity as people who are both scatter- a scattered people but also a gathered people that we're living in this time where God is still working out his redemption purpose until we get to that ultimate gathering in the new creation. And we see in Revelation this picture of people from every tongue, tribe, nation gathered before Jesus. And we're gathered together in in a holistic church and that is a really beautiful picture and that's the gathering we're working towards as we are this scattered people on the way to get there
0: praise god praise god what a, what, what a wonderful vision that the bible gives us of that gathering and scattering and uh, israel um as diaspora people come to this country they they often come with their faith uh with their um Uh, wanting to make disciples in in the host country, the country they're going to. That was something of your experience. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Could you share your your journey, thinking back to 2004, what that was like for you? So I
1: came from Nigeria in 2004 uh, as a missionary from Mm. Nigeria to the English. As I like to tell people, I was sent by my Pentecostal church uh, in Nigeria. Also, part of my coming was to further my theological education. And so I came to plant a church uh, in sort of Southeast London. I didn't end up planting that church because as I started observing, the dynamics that I saw was that there were white majority churches. There were black majority churches of different types, African churches, African Caribbean churches, uh, Brazilian, Latin American churches, South Asian churches. And so I sort of took a step back and start reflecting that if God has called me to be a missionary Hmm. in the UK and then I plant this church, there's that tendency that it could become a Nigerian church. Now there's nothing wrong with a Nigerian church, but my conviction at that time and now is that God has called me to a multicultural British society. And in order to do that, I needed a kind of a new environment to be able to do that. So I became part of the Baptist church, which was very multicultural in southeast London, and then later became a pastor there. Uh, But what was fascinating in my journey and experience is I I was working at Tesco's at that particular time. And one of the things that really struck me was when when we used to go to the canteen to eat, uh, you know, you have the white British eating on one side, you have the Asians eating eating on one side, you have the Africans eating on one side and it it was perplexing in in some sense i said to people that my work at tesco became a kind of my placement of (laughs) understanding multicultural britain and understanding uh, working class people in britain but there were only few people who could manage to move around those group and i was one of them i could eat with the white british i could with the africans i could eat with Uh, you know, with the Caribbeans uh, and so on because I intentionally uh, did that. So I was doing that simultaneously as being in a multicultural church. But my experience of coming intentionally as a missionary uh, to the UK would be described as a reverse missionary, Mm -hmm. which is again one significant aspect of diaspora mission uh, that is coming with intention because whereas before, Britain sent missionaries to other parts of the world, uh, but now many of us see Europe and Britain as a mission field, hence we are coming back. And so there is that shift in thinking that Britain used to send missionaries, used to contribute, used to give. But now Britain is in a place where it's time to receive Mm. But there is something about the posture of receiving, which could be perceived as weakness. Mm. And we must never think that that receiving is weakness because actually there is power in receiving because Mm. it demonstrates humility and there is great strength in humility. But that is my own experience of coming as a reverse missionary uh, into Britain.
0: I just want to pick up on something you said uh, about being able to cross those different groups and you could speak to those different groups as you saw people in the canteen and Tesco's and and it seems like there is something uniquely precious about people who have come from another culture from another uh, ethnic background to this country who have naturally had to navigate what it's like to have to cross different cultures Mm. and they bring an expertise that sometimes people who've lived in one place and in one culture don't naturally have yeah and it seems to me that that's a gift
1: it is i think as someone put it i think Ethnic diversity is a gift to the church Mm. and the reason why it's a gift is that everyone has a blind spot and British Christians have a blind spot. One of the beauty of diaspora Christians coming in is that oftentimes most of us are coming from a suffering, from a context of suffering where we've experienced lots of economic instability inflation, recession, and so on. And so life is tough. So sometimes people come as refugees. They come as asylum seekers. They come as people who are broken. But yet, in that brokenness, discipleship mm. and life is flourishing. And so is there something that British Christians, uh, who, as it were, uh, and I'm not saying that all British Christians have everything sorted, but who are in a developed World as it is, is there something they can learn around discipleship about, about what it means to suffer, being in that tight spot? How do you survive? How do you exist? Yeah, and yeah. so discipleship and dependence on God becomes quite powerful. But let me bring. Let me just bring Charlotte into this point. So,
0: so, so, how do we, as as a majority culture people, how do we um, welcome? Uh, people who are from other places well into our churches just building on what um, Israel's been saying there.
2: Yeah I'd agree with you Israel that that we need to recognize Christians from all over the world as a gift from God and not just a gift from God but part of God's design and we know in Acts 17 for example where Paul's preaching at the Areopagus he, he appeals to those listening saying that God is the one who determines our boundary place. The place that we all live and and he does that so that we might reach out seek him and find him and so the fact that god has brought many christians from all over the world here is part of his design for the sake of others reaching out finding him um and And that's a really exciting thing we need to have a posture of both therefore recognizing god's sovereignty in this that we might be part of a diverse church community or have diverse churches within our community Mm. and we we really need to lean into that Uh, we need a posture of humility of learning as you said israel of, of recognizing that if the ultimate goal is that people from every Tong tribe and nation are gathered together worshipping Jesus, it's likely that no one of those cultures or people has the monopoly on understanding who Jesus is or how to bring others into that kingdom. Actually, we really need each other and we need to cooperate together. And that's, if that's God's design in terms of what worship looks like, then we're worshipping him now as we work well together for the sake of the gospel.
0: What does that look? What does that look like, though, Charlotte? what What will that mean for the person who is in the pew and seeking to welcome people from other nations? What difference will that make to their interaction with people, do you think?
2: Yeah, I think the first thing is actually to interact. I've been parts of lots of churches where I know even myself, I've I've not gone over across the room to go and talk to the person who isn't like me. Yeah. I haven't made the effort to try and do things differently because it doesn't work with my family life or my, my private life, as I'd like to call yeah. it. And so the first thing is that journey of breaking down the barriers that stop me as an individual or us as a community yeah. from actually wanting to get to know those that are different from us. And it might mean accepting that people from different cultures have different theological backgrounds ground so they're going to see Jesus in ways that challenge our own theological convictions uh-huh. how do we grapple with that well uh, without wanting to lose hold of, of what is the truth of the gospel how do we invite people into our homes and not just at the, the convenient times where um, I have dinner on the table and, and everything's nice and well presented but actually in the chaos of moving house or when I'm actually on the way to the dentist and, and somebody wants to come with me and watch me have my teeth checked right. or how, how do you do relationships in chaos Okay. Um, and I feel like that is one of the things that we need to do. And, I, and it it is a real posture of humility and of listening mm. and of working well together. I was working as a research scientist and I just felt like there's so many Muslims in my local community and I have so little time to get alongside them and build relationships and have an opportunity to share Jesus. But one lady... Um, the way she wanted to spend time with me really challenged me because she wasn't waiting for all of this luxurious free time where I could have her over for an evening and have lots of conversation. She wanted to do day-to-day life with me. Hmm. So when I had a lunch break and was going to the dentist, that's when she wanted to be with me, and she was really excited by that. and And we could go together, and we didn't necessarily do a lot of talking at that time because I was at the dentist. But that <laughs> helped her to feel <laughs> close to me and like she was part of my life. and And so it helped to yeah. challenge this idea of this is all my private stuff. Like to me, going the dentist is quite a private activity but for her that was how we loved each other and how we could relate together and so it meant that as I'm going and doing the shopping I would invite people to go to the shops with me or i might invite people to come and help whilst i'm cooking or cleaning or doing those day-to-day things and and actually whilst we were doing things together it was quite a good way of having difficult conversations about faith and about some of the difficult things that um i faced in my own life or or my friends have faced and how we grapple through those things together so in some ways it was less intense than sitting down having a cup of tea and having one of those difficult conversations
0: Well, as we think about that posture of listening and humility um, how is it that we can work together well for the sake of mission so i know that you have been influenced by samuel quaver
1: Yeah, so samuel quaver is a good friend of mine is a latin american missionary uh, who came from peru hmm. first of all to spain and then later to the UK. And today he he started something called Latin American Pastors Fraternal, which brings together Latin American pastors in London. And in his writing, he's also a theologian. He talked about reciprocity in terms of mission. So he would talk about reciprocal mission, that we need to build a two-way bridge. And from around the 1980s, Latin American missionaries came to a point where they saw Europe the new mission field, mm. hence they started missionaries uh, to Spain and to other parts of Europe. So he talks about the need to develop a two-way bridge, one from Europe to Latin America and one from Latin America to Europe. Mm. And I think if we translate that into how we do church, it means that we need to collaborate well. Mm. Uh, you know, can we develop multicultural churches that move away from just performative inclusivity that is we just see in our churches that yes we have these diverse people we go beyond just representation to actually intentionally doing life together yeah. and what that will mean is how do we welcome how do we create a sense of belonging and how do we integrate people and we see this even in the story of Ruth Ruth was a refugee uh-huh. and she was welcomed by Naomi and she was able to come to a place and say your God is my God? She, that's the first aspect. She was welcome, but as the text move on in chapter two, you begin to see that she was given a sense of belonging as she begins to go and graze uh, in, in their farming system. And uh, she met Boaz, another kinsman, and she was in—you know—she she was welcomed to be part of that system. She was able to feed in their own food bank. That's their own—the way their own food bank worked in those days. I was leaving some food on the side for people who don't have anything to grace. And so she she had that sense of belonging. And then integration, she was able to get married to Boaz at the end, full integration, so that today, when we look at the story of Ruth, she became one of the great ancestors of Jesus. But she went from well, being welcomed to being given a kind of a sense of belonging and part of the family, and then being integrated. We need that kind of a framework in our church. Welcome goes beyond just giving someone a cup of tea on a Sunday. Oftentimes in our churches, we think once we give someone a cup of tea on a Sunday, we've welcomed them. No, that's not welcome. That's just the introduction to welcome. Mm. Welcome is long. It's consistency. It's thinking about the midweek. How is that person faring? What is going on? Especially for someone who's just coming to the country. How do we make sure that we don't just greet them on this first Sunday and then the other Sundays we ignore them, which sometimes do happen?
0: So there's something uh, about... Um, really seeing the fullness of what welcome looks like and you've 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 leaned in you've lent into that a bit Charlotte you have talked about being on the way to the dentist and (laughs) actually being open uh, to welcome people at all kinds of different times I guess from the point of view of a pastor who might be listening to this it's maybe thinking about actively trying to make friends with, pray with, um, collaborate with people who might be from different ethnic backgrounds, churches in your area, who maybe you haven't thought about connecting with before. That'd be another sort of practical uh, step that people could take. But for now, we're going to go to a, a conversation with Dada, one of our LCM missionaries, who's based in North London, who is from Liberia. Let's cross over to that now.
3: My name is Dada from Liberia, I came to the United Kingdom, having been a refugee, and then uh, in 1997, I fell called to the London City Mission. What I found with diaspora churches is they are enthusiastic about reaching out to talk to people about Christ. Their enthusiasm for prayer, for evangelism, And their boldness to actually propagate the gospel, that is something that I found really, really encouraging. I encourage them to continue to do, to be bold. And also, it is interesting that because of their struggles, they speak with passion when it comes to dependency or depending on God they speak with that with conviction and with real faith because some of them have crossed from crossed different borders and their whole life, especially in a host country, has been depending on God for their provision. I think the biggest barriers that uh, Christians and Christian leaders have got is uh, fear of saying the wrong thing, no confidence or fear of invading people's privacy you know those things set people's back but in reality when you have church people you know engaging out they seem to so enjoyed it and they seem to so love it but there's a fear and for diaspora people is fear of even their assent or fear of being rejected you know something like that but only overall once they get going and they see results it keeps them on. Now, for many monks, I've been thinking, how can we get diaspora people scattered, especially who have got no platform to share their personal story? And this is how the story came up. It's actually done through one of the local churches, which is All Saints. We started it, and it has been amazing to see people speak out how has god been on this journey with you we have had muslims we have had somebody from a hindu's background who became christian i've shared her testimony a muslim lady who became christian i've shared her testimony just looking at how has god been work, working walking through your life you know on this journey and also it helps local people to hear that christianity is not just religion but it is real spiritual relationship with God and that God is working through people's life. So that's one of the uh, great things about what's the story. The kingdom of God, the city of God, will be global, it's a global city. You know, you just have to look at uh, John chapter 13, where it speaks, if, if we love one another, People will tell that we are disciples of God, you know, because you see, the salvation of God has got no boundaries.
0: Well, I want to take a moment to dig into some of what we heard from, from Dada there. And one of the things was he spoke of the, the passion that diaspora churches uh, had, you know, in terms of prayer, uh, boldness, courage, all kinds of things. Um, what can we learn from that? um charlotte
2: yeah at at london city mission the more that we're getting opportunities to work alongside diaspora churches the more experiencing some of that amazing passion and zeal for evangelism in all sorts of different forms from every member of congregations it's so beautiful seeing young old just everybody going Mm. i'm going to go out and i'm going to tell people about jesus and this is this is how i'm going to do it i guess one of the things that diaspora churches often look to LCM to help them with is how they do that when it means for them crossing cultural barriers themselves. So for example, working with a a church, mostly of first generation Nigerian Christians that they have come to the UK and they're saying, well, I'm going out week on week. I'm giving out leaflets, inviting people to church, telling people about Jesus, but I'm really struggling to build connections with local people in my community Mm -hmm. who aren't from a Nigerian background. Can you just help us to put this zeal and passion uh, into... Yeah, how directors into how to build those relationships. So it's beautiful to, to learn from their zeal, but also help them and share some of our practical evangelism experience with them.
0: Thank you. And I know that uh, Dada spoke about uh, a course I think he runs called What's Your Story? A Chance for Diaspora Christians to uh, share how God has been with them on a journey. Uh, what are your reflections, Israel, on how um, diaspora communities can share their voice or have their voice?
1: so i think sometimes there is the perception that people are giving us a voice <laughs> and i think that, that that's misplaced mm. in a lot of ways because no one is giving us a voice we we have a voice i suppose the, the problem is that in our churches in our mission engagement we need to develop what i'm describing as polyphonic voices that is the idea of listening to a multiplicity of voices, okay. not just from one particular community, but listening to the global church. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that sometimes, to use one of the biggest phrases we use during the pandemic, is to unmute. Okay, uh, You know, it's to unmute people's voices, marginal voices, voices that normally we would not listen to, to unmute them. One way to unmute them is to listen to them. Uh, is to so not to give them a voice, but to listen to what they have to say, uh, and going back to, what, what, you know, just to use as an example, one of the passion, in terms of evangelism of the diaspora, to use that to illustrate how we can listen well. Europe is post secular; it is secular; it's post modern, which simply means that the way we view truth is relative. We talk about truth being relative; it's pluralistic, in that sense. And so in that kind of a context, there is sometimes lack of confidence in sharing the gospel Mm. for British European Christians. Now, the reverse is the case for people coming from Latin America, from Asia, from Africa, because they are coming from a religious context, which simply means that the idea of religiosity is part of who they are. Mm. And so naturally, they want to share. There's no sacred, secular and so, when an African person opens a grocery shop, even the name alone conveys the gospel Yes, because of the way they do life. Yeah. And so, if we listen to those kind of uh, tactics, those kind of how we do life, so discipleship is not... Uh, I've never really heard an African say whole life discipleship because for them, discipleship is inherently whole life. So, they don't have to <laughs> appendix whole life to it Got to you. make it whole life or to get the point. And so... Those are some of the ways we can listen to how they unpack for their voices to be unmuted in this conversation in terms of evangelism, in terms of prayer, and in terms of other contributions that they bring.
0: That's so helpful, just the idea of um, whose voice needs to be unmuted because they have so much to offer and to bring in terms of zeal for evangelism and more. Um, One of the things um, that Dada talked about was the fear that some diaspora Christians have of being rejected and I wonder if it's worth us just leaning into that for a moment what what might be the the things we need to be aware of that diaspora Christians might might bring that that we could be praying for and aware of as we seek to love them does that make sense yeah if
1: I draw from my own experience so when I came in 2004 it was a lonely journey Mm. and I remember being part of the church and the church I was in was welcoming but you, you are coming from a kind of a context that is community based mm. into London which is very individualistic very individual so that even the way we do church even in our welcoming is still very individualistic mm. uh, in, in that sense so isolation is one of the barriers is one of the problems the loneliness that people face in london and there's something about not talking to strangers that is even more exacerbated in london and so if you come in as a diaspora a migrant that there is the way people perceive you mm. and you are a stranger uh, you know, people don't want to talk to you. So that's one of the barriers uh, that I think we have uh, in, in terms of our churches. The other is how people treat you because of your accent. Uh-huh. And that's a big one. I think that I mentioned it as well yeah, in the video. Accent is very powerful. Yeah. But then the question is this, who doesn't have an accent? <laughs> Even Jesus had an accent. He spoke aramaic he didn't speak english english didn't even exist back then so why do we treat certain people as oh i can't hear your accent uh, so i think we, we need to go beyond that i think is how do we again going back to listening how because when you say someone has an accent okay maybe i need to listen in more uh-huh. so there is a way you can listen because there are times i've listened to other people i'm thinking they've got accent but after listening more to yeah. what they are saying, almost a double listening. So I think these are some of the barriers that yeah. people face when, when they come in that. I think our church can do welcome well, and it is no surprise that the Bible talks about uh, three categories of people. It talks about doing ministry to the fatherless, uh, to the widows, and to strangers. That is something that was weaved into the ecosystem of the Old Testament that I think the church today, we need to continue to unpack.
0: Charlotte, would you add anything to, to, to this?
2: Yeah, I guess one of the things I was thinking as you were speaking, Israel, is just the way that in any culture we have a cultural interpretation of whatever it is. I guess in my context, one of the things that I know um, myself and churches that I've worked with have found hardest about engaging with churches from all over the world are, are the theological differences. And so what does it look like for an evangelical church to work with an African Pentecostal church for example can we work well together are we compromising the gospel and sometimes we see that as uh, that sometimes even in my own heart I thought well I have evangelical Christianity divorced from culture and another church might have African Christianity whereas I need to start reflecting even on my own culture my own theology my own practice and saying well this is all my cultural interpretation of this and how how do I actually get rid of some of that cultural baggage so that I can partner well with other people? Because sometimes it is just culture that's stopping me from doing that. And so I think being self-reflective and and, and doing that reflective process with people from another background that can help me see where I have barriers that I've put up myself, and um, that can really help so that we can bring others in, we can work well together um, and and break down that loneliness and isolation. The other thing I wanted to mention was just people from uh, diasporic communities that actually are heavily persecuted for being christians because Mm. often that adds any an an extra layer of difficulty where there's their own family might be preventing them from coming to church they might be um their life may even be in danger and so in that the the loneliness and isolation is huge and Mm. we have a huge Um, responsibility really to Mm. to break that down and find ways to do church that are different from the structures and institution that we're used to.
0: Mm, Thank you. We've rightly I think focused on uh, coming alongside Uh, working with connecting with those in our churches already those uh, who already have faith and how we can learn from them so that we can minister together to make jesus known but we want to switch tack now a little to thinking about mission two those diasporic communities who don't yet know jesus so charlotte tell us what is the opportunity there for us to do that
2: Yeah, in London, we have people from, as we've said, all over the world, and that is incredible because it means that we've got people from some of the most unreached countries in the world living on our doorstep. Mm. If you were to go on to, for example, the Open Doors website and look at some of the most persecuted countries in the world, well, we have those communities here, Mm. and we have freedom here to share the gospel with those communities. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean all those people will accept Jesus on the spot, but it is an amazing opportunity that we have the chance to be faithful to, and so in London... We, I guess, our passion is that churches would want to find ways to reach those unreached people with the gospel.
0: Okay, and as we do that, what are the things we need to be aware of as we seek to do that? For example, where might we need to be careful because of? Uh, some of what you've already shared uh, about people's background and circumstances
2: so here in london we've got people from north korea from somalia afghanistan syria some of the most persecuted countries in the world and although there's relative freedom here it doesn't mean that people because of family ties and the communal nature of life it doesn't mean that people are completely free to do whatever they want without consequence to their loved ones their spouse their children and so we do have to be really sensitive and cautious in the way we go about connecting with people and sharing the good news Hmm. and we want to build genuine relationships with people because uh, the last thing we want to see people although there's this amazing opportunity we don't want that zeal and that excitement to turn people into evangelistic targets where we we just want to make the most of that and great let's reach the unreached nations and, and forget that these are people with fears and hopes and dreams and and trauma that we just want—we want to also love these people and care for them well. So, yeah, we need to build good relationships. We often, therefore, need to do that not as individuals, but as whole church communities. Because working alongside people that are traumatized is difficult and hard, and yeah. and people need community. They don't just need an individual in their life. Um, oh, so bless you for you
0: shared. There is a real need for sensitivity and care as mm. we seek to minister to to, to that the people that God has put on our doorstep here in London, and. As we do that, let's think again about practical advice and you've both touched on the need for a kind of posture of learning. Can you say some more about that? Start with you again, Charlotte.
2: Yeah, I think we need to first learn. So if I was going to, if I had laid on my heart by the Lord to go and reach North Koreans in southwest London, if I just walk into that community and say, hey, I'm here to tell you about Jesus, the likelihood is that's not going to go very far. Um, whereas if I have a posture of learning and try and understand the culture and try and understand um, the worldview of those North Koreans people in front of me yeah. then perhaps i might understand why jesus is actually good news for that community Um, exactly why it's difficult to accept jesus as lord and saviour and start um start there i guess yeah but also i guess there's a, a posture of invitation that's quite important Um, it's it's very rare that people say oh please can you come and tell me about jesus we do have to sometimes go and be brave and and step out of our comfort zone to without invitation share but there is a sense of Of invitation of being part of relationship and part of community that's quite key Mm. and not just forcing our way into things that we really ought not to be doing and and even in my own experience that's turned out very badly in the past whereas if i'd taken a different approach and been um been i guess much more open and careful about how i was building relationships rather than being a bit of a a bull in a china shop then that could have gone a lot better
0: okay and just building on that uh we've mentioned a little bit before welcome and hospitality uh, how can we go about that in a wise way, uh, Israel?
1: So I think in our churches, I think we, we need to be intentional. Mm. Intentionality is very key. Mm. Uh, on a Sunday morning, I, I've been to churches where no one has spoken to me. Mm. Uh, and you kind of think, is this really a church? and uh, so i think we need to be intentional in terms of welcoming people connecting with people in that sense but also as we continue to listen and welcome people i think what charlotte did mention around trauma is very real because of the experiences put it this way yes we are in a multicultural society london is multicultural but diaspora people still experience racism Mm. And that's something we cannot ignore in this conversation. Uh, mm. And I know sometimes people feel that conversation polarizes, but issues around racism is still very real. And so one of the things, particularly in multicultural churches, we need to do is to give opportunity for people to share their experiences. Mm. Not in a way that we we make them feel uncomfortable, uh, mm. but in a way that it actually it empowers them, but also at the same time, we learn from that. And I think one way we can do that is to help people not to internalize their pain. Mm. Because oftentimes I think people from the diaspora in our churches, they feel they cannot share about racism, mm. because they feel our church don't want to talk about it. Mm. And so can our churches develop a kind of a radical inclusivity? That simply means that we give permission to talk about issues around race, Mm. discrimination. Because it does matter. People want to talk about it. And if they can't find a place to talk about it in church, then that's not good. Where else would they talk about it if they can't talk about it with their brothers and sisters in God's presence to see how we address that? So I would say for many of the multicultural churches, let's create intentional safe spaces and that those words are very crucial, intentional, safe spaces uh, where we can talk about these things. Leadership has to lead on this, and when we're talking about leadership, we're not just thinking of the central church leadership. It could also be house group leaders, but of course it's got to come from that yeah. leadership of yeah, the yeah. church, like your elders or deacons. Can we have house groups where we talk about these issues? Can we have preaching series okay dedicated to Uh, looking at issue of race and not just confine it to Black History Month. Because oftentimes that's what we do. We just look at October. And sometimes what that does is it makes people's experiences feel like we're just confining it to a particular space. Whereas if racism is something that you don't just experience in the past, you're still experiencing it now. If it's part of a kind of a daily life and experience, then you definitely need a church that understands how to unpack that through house groups, through preaching series. What kind of songs are we singing? Can our songs challenge injustice and some of these issues? So, you know, these are important things that we can do in our services. And also in our services, can we pray for reverse missionaries? Do we always have to pray for missionaries that are going overseas? Can we be creative and say, can we pray? I remember in one of the churches I was leading, uh, the women's group said, oh, Israel, can you introduce us? We want to pray for a missionary. And I thought I'm going to do something different. And I introduced them to a Kenyan missionary who has come to the UK. So I introduced him to the lizard. They look confused. And the reason why they looked confused was because they had this perception that a missionary is someone who goes out there, not someone who comes in. Can we begin to change that in our churches, in our prayers for missionaries?
0: Language, could that be another kind of barrier that we need to think about in terms of welcome, Charlotte?
2: Yeah, particularly with some of the communities I was talking about earlier. Um, So... Uh, communities that are have migrated to the uk more recently than those that have been established for the last 1500 odd years um then, then language often is a barrier and it can be very difficult for people to feel not just if they wanted to enter into a church setting but any setting whether that's the school or shops or public services language is a huge barrier and mm. it's a real opportunity actually for the church with all of its creativity and uh, there's there's so many members in churches that are gifted in, in so many things it'd be amazing for people to come together and think about how we solve that language barrier well how, what creative opportunities are there so that we can break down language barriers and, and bring people together Um, for the sake of relationship. And it's been really encouraging um, seeing the way uh, some of our LCM missionaries have been working alongside churches to do just that, to provide space, almost like those intentional safe spaces where people can come, be with people from their own language group, but also slowly integrate into the majority English-speaking church, not so that just the... um, this uh, particular language community becomes an English-speaking community, but so that there's ways of people facilitating relationship across that language barrier.
1: But sometimes I couldn't help but feel that somehow we equate the ability to speak English with intelligence. So that if you don't speak English, there is a way we look at people like they are not intelligent. And I think that's a narrative we need to challenge in our churches. And I think one way we can begin to do that is to interject other languages into our service. Can someone read the Bible in Farsi in our church and then we have a translation in english can someone pray in yoruba and then someone translate it in english because what we begin to do when we begin to interject other languages into our services is we are simply saying that we welcome other people here and we want to work together. So it's going to take creativity and intentionality in terms of
0: thinking through how we do it.
2: Absolutely, and patience and time. Yeah. And I think time in, in terms of welcome and hospitality and all of these barriers, time is the key thing. Yeah. And you just can't substitute that. But I know in my own heart and in so many of ours, time feels like the, big, the hardest thing to give away so often.
0: Absolutely. But even having said that, would you say that there are times when we can make small adjustments that can open ourselves up, open us up to making more connections than we might otherwise.
2: I often find the park is the best place to meet people from all over the world because you're stood by a swing, pushing your children and you have to talk. Um, <laughs> just just looking for those small opportunities to say something to somebody and um, connect with something. And sometimes that's the only conversation you'll have with that person. Yeah. But other times it's the start of a relationship and a great opportunity.
0: Praise God. Now, one thing we haven't had a chance to talk about much is how we can particularly welcome people who might be asylum seekers or refugees i know charlotte that you've written a how-to guide on that we'll put that in the description but i want to draw us to a close by asking each of you what is one next step that people could take we've talked about a lot of things as we've thought about connecting uh, with uh, uh, diaspora people uh, both listening well and so on uh, with people in our churches and going out to people who do not yet know Jesus, what would be one thing that each of you would say? Can I start with you, Israel?
1: Yes, I think um, for diaspora people who are coming in, or those who are already settled, I think one of the things as we continue to settle here is to realize that the context we are in is obviously very different. And so how we do mission uh, has to be different as well. And so there is the need sometimes to contextualize our mission strategies. So what that simply means is, what my work in the context of Ghana might not necessarily work in London, Hmm. because London is very different from Ghana. Or what my work in India might not work here. And so there is the need to rethink the context. uh, We need to work on how how we contextualize our mission for a multicultural audience.
0: I'm going to go to Charlotte now. Just uh, your piece of wisdom.
2: I'd say over the last couple of years, the thing that's been most helpful for me and my discipleship has been being in in positions where I've been challenged by Christians from other backgrounds. So being open to, to hearing different perspectives and actually having opportunities to, to, to change and to put things into practice that I'm learning from people from around the world. And so my encouragement would be to to find those people that can really challenge you, mm-hmm. not just for the sake of them being different, but people that want to work together collaboratively to, to grow. And so find those people, find those churches that are different, um, particularly diaspora Christians, maybe in your own church community. How can they challenge you and help you to grow? Um, to be more like Jesus, because I think when we're doing that together, we really can become that global church that's going to reach the global city on our doorstep.
0: Thank you, Charlotte. Well, we've we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, we'd love you to continue exploring this theme. And one way that you can do that is through the Diaspora Conference that will be happening shortly on November the 25th. Uh, Often in churches there are multiple generations. uh, Generations who have come from other countries but then with children and grandchildren who have grown up in a very different context here in London and have different uh, views, uh, beliefs, ways of seeing the world. How can we all work together well to make Jesus known here in London? And that's what the Diaspora Conference is going to be unpacking. Uh, So please join us if you can. Uh, We're bringing together people from a number of different uh, parts of the world to have a conversation about how we can learn from one another, about how to do that uh, really well. If you want more details, then do go to the website. It's lcm.org.uk forward slash diaspora. And uh, I'd I'd really encourage you uh, to take advantage of that opportunity. In terms of further resources, there's a how-to guide that I mentioned before that Charlotte has written. You can find out details about this uh, in the description. And if you'd like to know more about how we can help your particular church, then it's lcm.all.uk forward slash your church. Well, once again, thanks for listening. And I'm going to ask Charlotte uh, to pray for us as we close
2: let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what an amazing hope we have in the gospel. We thank you so much for the vision we have of being shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters from every tongue, tribe and nation worshipping the lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please would you help us day in day out to lean into that amazing vision we have. Uh, We thank you so much that in your great wisdom and sovereignty, you brought people to London from from all over the world. Father, many of those have come knowing you and wanting to worship you and work for the sake of mission. So we do pray that each Christian would work in unity, that that we would love one another well, that the world would know that we are your disciples because of that love. And we pray that together we'd be able to reach the nations who don't yet know you and we pray that you would bring many more into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.
0: amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that you've been inspired to take your next step in building connections and sharing Jesus with those around you, especially people on the margins of society. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, why not subscribe and recommend this podcast to a friend? Visit our Everyday Evangelism Urban Mission Resource Hub at lcm.org.uk forward slash resources to find all the latest episodes, as well as a range of helpful tools to help you confidently share Jesus and connect with people on the margins of society. Follow London City Mission on social media to stay up with all the latest content.